The pre-med path can be super confusing. If you'd love some help on your path or on your applications, use the promo code PMY for pre-med years, PMY over at medicalschoolhq.net and get some help from some of our experts, former directors of admissions, admissions officers, other experts. We have a small team ready to help you today. Again, that's promo code PMY to get a discount on our services at medicalschoolhq.net. If you're applying to medical school in 2022 to start medical school in 2023, join me Wednesday or Thursday, Wednesday night at 9.30 p.m. Eastern or Thursday at 11 a.m. Eastern at premedworkshop.com. Go register today. I'm going to show you how to tell your story in your application. Again, that's premedworkshop.com. If you are applying to medical school in 2022, be there or be square. The Pre-Med Year, session number 378. Hello, and welcome to The Pre-Med Years, where we believe that collaboration, not competition, is key to your success. I'm your host, Dr. Ryan Gray, and in this podcast, we share with you stories, encouragement, and information that you need to know to help guide you on your path to becoming a physician. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the pre-med years. I'm so excited that you are here, that you are about to listen to hopefully something that will help you on your journey to medical school, specifically with the interview. Now, the audio that you're going to hear is going to be from my pre-med channel, which if you don't subscribe, I would love for you to go subscribe and leave a comment on the video from this this audio, the video from this audio, and and just say, hey, Dr. Gray, I heard this on the podcast. Excited to follow you here on YouTube. I would love to see you do that. You can find my YouTube channel at premed.tv. Again, that's premed.tv. And I'm going to do a giveaway. So one person who subscribes between when this podcast goes out and and we'll say between when this podcast goes out and next week so next wednesday before the next episode comes out so wednesday as this podcast comes out the 19th of february through the end of february 25th through that day uh, go subscribe and i will follow all my new subscribers and uh will announce on a podcast probably that following week, maybe, uh, who will win uh, a call with me. Just a, a normal 45-minute call, several hundred dollars worth of value there to just jump on a call, ask your questions, and let me know. So as I turn more focus onto my YouTube channel, I want to make sure that you are aware that it's there. And so we'll do a little bit of a giveaway. Again, go to premed.tv subscribe to my channel, and leave a comment on this video that the audio is from. Now, the video came out on Monday, February 17th, and its title is, The Talk Every Pre-Med Should See is the Thumbnail, and it says, The Interview Advice Every Pre-Med Needs to Hear. So again, go find that video and leave a comment and subscribe to the channel. We just crossed 6,000 subscribers. I would love to get to 10,000 in the next month. So again, premed.tv, subscribe. I will follow that list of subscribers. I will see who is commenting 
on that video. And that's how I will notify you is I will reply to your comment that you won that call with me. So again, premed.tv. And I hope you enjoy this audio. This is a recording of two talks that I did at the AMSA Premed Fest conference in College Station in Texas way back in November, not way back, way back, uh, November 2019. So AMSA had their pre-med fest and I gave two back-to-back talks. AMSA said, your talks are always standing room only. Can you do the same talk twice? And so I did the same talk twice and what you hear is is my editor, uh, editor's best shot at kind of putting together those two talks into the most useful information for you. So let's go ahead and jump in. And don't forget, I have the best-selling book about the medical school interview process, tons of five-star ratings and reviews on Amazon. Go check it out, amazon.com. Search for pre-med playbook. It's the guide to the medical school interview. And I also have the guide to the medical school personal statement as well, which is, again, the best-selling book for writing your personal statement. And I'm working on the application book, which will be out uh, soon. (laughs) At some point, I'm working on it. I'm working on it. All right. Have a great day. I hope you enjoy the the episode today. We'll jump in. I'll see you on the flip side. So my name is Ryan Gray, Dr. Ryan Gray, Dr. Gray, whatever you want to call me. Um, I'm a physician by training. So I went to medical school. I practiced for five years in the Air Force as a flight surgeon. A couple years into practicing in the Air Force, I started a website because I didn't like what I saw out there in the pre-med world with how competitive it was, how cutthroat it was, how negative it was or is. Um, And what I saw from websites like Student Doctor Network, I disagreed with. And so I started my own website and podcast seven years ago. Actually, the podcast is turned seven next week. Nowadays, you guys have lots of information. And sometimes that's a good thing. Sometimes that's a bad thing. There's a lot of bad information out there. Uh, and hopefully in our session today, I can dispel a lot of myths. I can answer a lot of questions. We'll do tons of Q&A. We'll get you going so that when you are interviewing, you are there to, to really show off who you are as a person, why you want to be a doctor, and hopefully that interview will turn into an acceptance. So the goal, at its core, the goal of the medical school interview is to do dance. Right? When you dance, one person leads, one person follows. In the interview, the interviewer is leading and you are following. It's a conversation. They're asking a question, you're answering it. Where students go wrong with the medical school interview is the leader leads and asks a question and you step right on his or her foot because you have an agenda. And you're like, no, I want to go this way. I know you want to go that way, but I want to tell you how empathetic I am. I'm going to tell you how dedicated I am. And you're just stepping on their feet the whole way. And they walk out limping, beat up, because because you thought that your goal on interview day was to prove that you're empathetic and hardworking, compassionate, dedicated, motivated, that you know you want to be a doctor, that you're going to be an amazing doctor. That's not the goal of the medical school interview. It's to follow the leader in a conversation. And so when the leader asks why you want to be a doctor, the goal isn't to say, because I'm the most compassionate person ever. I know that I have the empathy and I 
love science so much that my eyes bleed because I just love it so much. I could stay up all night studying OCHEM. And I know that I'm going to be an amazing medical student because I love science. Students do that. So at the end of the day, you want that interviewer to remember you, right? Going back to being memorable for who you are and the story that you tell. So why do you want to be a doctor? It's not because you like people, want to help people and like science, right? It's not. And yet half of you will say that in your interview. And trust me, I've seen it a thousand different ways. Some very fancy ways of saying, I like science and I want to help people. But at the core, that's what you're saying. And that's not a reason to be a physician. It just means you like science and you want to help people. I got into an Uber many years ago and asked the driver how he was doing. He's like, I'm doing amazing. I get to help people today. I get to drive them where they're going. Right? He's helping people. He might like science too. <laughs> right? <laughs> he wasn't listening to a science podcast, so I can't prove it. Uh, but he might like science too. And yet he's not a physician. So what experiences have you had in your life that have shown you you want to be a physician? I have a, a personal statement book, and in the book I call it your seed. What is your seed? So if you remember me, my seed was getting hurt playing baseball and being exposed to physical therapy. Uh, it's not leading to being a physician, but that led me to healthcare. And so you talk about your seed. A lot of students will focus so much on grades and MCAT scores that they don't really understand why they're pursuing this path. And that come, comes across in a personal statement and it comes across in an interview. And if the interviewer isn't convinced that you really understand what being a doctor is like, number one, you probably won't be there for the interview to begin with. And number two, if you are there for the interviewer, you probably won't be accepted. If you haven't heard, being a physician is kind of hard. Going to medical school is uh, very hard. Being a resident, it's hard. So they want to make sure that you understand what those sacrifices are. So we have a standard interview, right? The medical school interview, standard interview is a one-on-one -on -one type interview, either open or closed. Open interview means they have access to your application. Doesn't mean they've looked at it, just means they have access to it. So they'll know your GPA, your MCAT score, your essays, all of that stuff. There are partially blind or partially open, partially closed, however you want to look at it, interviews where they may have access to your essays but not your stats. And that's so they don't come in biased with, oh, this student doesn't have the best stats, they're probably not going to be a good student. There are completely closed interviews where they just don't have access to anything. There are MMIs, the multiple mini-interview. How many of you have heard them about the MMI? A bunch of you. How many of you are really scared of, of the MMI? And the rest of you are lying. Um, <laughs> so the MMI actually is a much friendlier interview than a standard interview. You have a lot more leeway because it's not just a one-on-one -on -one interview. You actually have some flexibility with performing poorly in one station and doing well in the other. The students who do poorly try too hard. And they try to go in and say, okay, they get psyched up, they go, all right, 
I need to prove that I'm empathetic. I need to prove that I'm compassionate. I need to prove that I know all of medical ethics. I need to prove that I know all of the steps of, of what happens when we have a Jehovah's Witness come in and, and they're refusing blood treatment, right, a blood transfusion. But at the end of the day, your goal isn't to prove anything other than your normal human being who can hold a conversation with another human being. The goal, from their point of view, is to see if you're going to be someone who is going to be a good member of the class. Remember that they are not accepting one person. They are accepting a whole community of students. And they have kind of their idea. They meet every year as an admissions committee and say, okay, who do we want our class to look like? Do we want it to be kind of the jockey class this year? Do we want it to be the science nerds? Do we want it to be the whatever, right? What's the makeup of the class that we kind of want to see? And that's where when you kind of go outside of the box a little bit, and stop trying to sell yourself as to how compassionate and empathetic and hardworking and dedicated and motivated and all of the cliche things, you start to show who you are. You start to show personality. Right? It's important. And so as you are picking apart your responses for your interview, and this goes for your essays as well, for your application, pick apart sentence by sentence thought by thought, kind of bullet point by bullet point when you're frameworking kind of your answers and thinking about the answers to your interview and think about, is this a generic statement? I'm dedicated, I'm hardworking, I'm empathetic, generic statement, or is it your story? So when you're looking at your answers, you need to tell your story. So how do you do that? Well, you talk to a lot of people, talk to family and friends to say, hey, mom, dad, when did I first start talking about wanting to be a doctor? Hey, mom, dad, when I came home from my first uh, shadowing experience when I was in high school, my first clinical experience, or I was a candy striper in high school, whatever it was, when I first came home from that experience, what was that like? So if you're not right now journaling, I highly recommend you start journaling. After every clinical experience, after every shadowing experience, after every volunteer experience, after all of your research experiences, every day you should be journaling. Strengths and weaknesses. And this isn't a game of, I'm gonna turn my weaknesses into a strength. Guess what? We're all humans, I think. Right? All humans here? Okay, just checking. Um, guess what humans are? Not perfect. We all have weaknesses. Some more than others. <laughs> Some bigger than others. And that's okay. Your weaknesses are your weaknesses. The question is, what are you doing to work on them? And so, if you take a weakness and say, oh, my, my, I just care too much. You know what? That's not a weakness. <laughs> What's your weakness? I am so disorganized. Man. It's terrible. I forget a lot of things. But you know what? I started using a new planner. I started using this new calendar app. And I'm slowly getting better at it. Cool. I can see that. You're working on it. Cool. 
Tell me a story that supports it, right? Strengths, weaknesses, anything in your interview that you can support with a story to highlight your answer, you're doing well. Anecdotes really help seal the deal. We as humans love stories. They're memorable for us. It's how we learned growing up before the written word, right? We'd sit around the campfire, making sure the saber-toothed tiger wasn't gonna eat us telling stories. Stories resonate with us, they stay in our mind. And so if you can answer strengths and weaknesses, well, well here's my strength, here's a story that shows that, Here's a weakness, here's a story that shows it, here's what I'm doing to work on it. Here's a time I failed, here's a story, here's what I've done to work on it. A time that I worked in a group, here's a story. Story, 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 story. That's all, that's all I got. It's easy. It's hard, but it's easy. Right? So, yeah, let's, let's do some Q&A. What are some good questions to ask the interviewer? Typically, if you have time, an interviewer will ask if you have any questions. Where students go wrong with asking questions is they ask too specific of questions about the school or they ask too specific of questions about the person. And so the wrong question to ask is, oh, why did you come here? It doesn't tell me anything about the school. Right? The interviewer goes, if I'm the interviewer, oh, well, my, my, my wife wanted to come to Texas A&M and, and be here. I wanted to be in Gainesville, Florida, because gators are better. Um, right? It doesn't tell you anything about the school. That, that hissing is terrible. <laughs> um, so the, most of you have probably heard, right, ask questions about them. People love to talk about themselves. And, and that's a good thing, it'll engage them. Don't ask questions about themselves. Don't ask super specific questions about the school or the program because the interviewers interviewing you may not be part of the faculty, right? Not all the people interviewing are part of the school. At University of Colorado, we have nurses that come in, we have lawyers that come in, come in from the community to help interview students. If they are part of the faculty and you ask something about the curriculum, well, guess what? There's a curriculum committee. They, they might not be on the curriculum committee, so they don't know those specific answers. And so what you don't want to do is ask three questions and the interviewer go, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know. It shuts it down really fast. And so what I like to do is ask about them in a different way. And that's about their opinion on things. What is their opinion about something? So one of my favorite questions is, what do you think is your, or what do you think is the best part of this school that doesn't get a lot of attention? It's not something you can Google. It's talking about them because it's their opinion. And Lord knows we all have opinions. And it, it's something that they can answer, right? They can't turn around and go, or they could. I've never thought about that, and I don't want to right now, right? Usually they go, oh, that's interesting. I'll tell you the answer. How personal should I get on the interview? So let's, let's frame it from a couple of different angles. Um, <clears throat> if you are going to cry talking about it, I would probably avoid it. If you happen to cry during an interview, that's okay. Just take a second. But if you 
are trying to, again, go in with an agenda and go, I really need to make sure that they know this about me, and it's something super uh, emotional to you, um, I, would, I would be careful with that. Right? It's, it's a professional interview, and yes, crying is okay. Um, but in the interview process, you want to try to kind of maintain your cool. Again, thinking about taking care of mom, dad, loved ones, usually you don't want your doctor crying there with you. A lot of times it happens and it's cool and it's just, it's in the moment, but you want to try to maintain. And so kind of that is a, a top level uh, thing. And that's something to think about with your applications as well. Putting something in your personal statement, putting something in your secondary essays. If you know that that topic is really, really uh, sensitive for you, and it, it may bring up a ton of emotions during an interview, maybe avoid it in your application altogether. And that's hard to say because it may be a huge part of your journey. And if it is, then you probably should talk about it and then try to get a little bit more calm before your interview day. <clears throat> um, from a mental health perspective, right? Unfortunately, there's still huge stigma around mental health. The ultimate kind of test for medical schools in terms of your application, in terms of your stats, uh, and just you as a human being is, is this student going to finish school in four years and pass all the tests they need to pass? Because if you don't, they get dinged, right? They have accreditation standards, and if they have students who aren't finishing school in four years, then they have to kind of answer to the, the higher powers that be. And if you start talking about mental health struggles, um, which is getting personal. The question is, are those going to come back up during medical school? In case you haven't heard, medical school is just a little bit hard. <coughs> I was going to make a joke about Texas A&M, but I won't. <laughs> You're my friends today. Um, it's hard. It's very, very hard. And you work a lot and you sleep a little and there's lots of stress associated with it. And guess what kind of exacerbates mental health issues? All of those things. And so the, the question in the back of their mind is, are you going to be able to complete medical school? And for most students with uh, mental health challenges, they're fine. They may need an extra year, they may need some time away, but they do fine. Um, so, so that's kind of where I think about, or I, the things I start to think about when thinking, is it too personal or is it not? Um, <clears throat> the other thing, and, and I'll mention this, uh, because I have way too many, uh, mostly women, and, and I know it happens to men as well, but mostly women reach out to me talking about sexual assault. And should I put it in my application to explain withdrawing from a semester or taking a year off or whatever it may be. And in the application process and in the interview process, I think it's very easy to read between the lines. And if you need to talk about something like that, don't, I don't think you need to explain it fully in an application. I think if you used assault or whatever language you want to use, I think most people will understand what you're talking about and go, okay, I get it. 
we, we can talk about it, we can move on, whatever you want. I think when students start getting a little bit too far into details, talking about that stuff makes people uncomfortable. And it's not your job to not make them uncomfortable, but it, again, if you think about from their point of view, if their internal reaction is, oh my God, that's terrible, I don't want to read anymore, right? That's like the opposite of what you want to do with your application. You want them to read, you want them to take it in. And so whether that's in an interview, whether that's in an application, just make sure that whatever you need to talk about, whatever experiences you've had, just make sure that you're, you're not going a little bit too far, making that person uncomfortable in a way that makes them want to push your application away because it's uncomfortable for them. And they may be dealing with their own issues of trauma, and so it's just, I have to talk about it because I get emails probably monthly from students. Do you recommend mock interviews? So it kind of goes back to what I was mentioning about not being overly rehearsed. I think you should do some mock interviews. I think you should get some feedback from your pre-health office, pre-health advisors. Hopefully they have some, some good mock interview services for you. Um, because I think you need to say your answers out loud. Practicing in your head, you sound like a rock star. You're like, oh, I'm gonna crush this, I'm amazing. And then you say it and the interviewer's like, what the heck did you just say? <laughs> You're like, oh, that didn't come out how I expected. Right? So practice, do mock interviews. I don't think you need to do a million of them. I think you need to do some. Uh, just to understand, uh, number one, how the words are coming out of your mouth. Uh, number two, hopefully they'll record you in video so that you can watch yourself and see if you have any like weird tics or something that you're like always playing with your ear or your hair or whatever, right? Um, so that you can uh, hopefully not to do those things. Uh, and then even though it's a fake environment, your body still is afraid and so how sweaty do you get? How, like, how tense does your voice box get? And what do you sound like so that you can understand those things and be prepared with tissues to wipe the sweat pouring off of your forehead um, and, and hopefully just try to relax as much as possible. I was, I was doing a mock interview with a student, a right? mock interview on Skype, right? So we're completely separate parts of the world, country, and like, it's the sweat's just coming. I can see it on the video. I'm like, are you gonna, like, you gonna wipe that? And he's like, oh yeah. Like, <laughs> you know how your body's gonna react and be prepared for it, right? It's okay to sweat. We're humans, we sweat when we're nervous. Don't let the sweat pour down and just completely drench you. Just be, pre be prepared with a tissue. What do I do if I get a question that I'm unsure about? So a question that you're unsure how to answer, maybe it's political, what do you do in that situation? Depends on what the question is. If it's a question that's like super specific, details of something, uh, then you say you don't know. What you don't want to do is fake it. Because it's super easy for the interviewer to go, ha ha ha, this student has no clue what they're talking about, I'm just going to drill them. I'm just going to keep asking questions and make them sweat. You don't want to do it. Be open and honest. Again, thinking about you taking care of their loved ones in the hospital, you don't want your doctor faking it. Right? The doctor will go, oh, I don't know. Let me go Google that. I'll go figure it out. So 
if it's something potentially um, from a moral or ethical standpoint, you should have opinions. A lot of students get caught up with, I don't know the right answer. And during the interview process, it's not about the right answer, it's about your thought process. All of you have different experiences growing up. Your parents are different, your aunts and uncles are different, your siblings are different. And so all of you look at life and interpret life differently than everyone else. And during the interview process, when you're asked questions, most of the time, you don't have to know anything. You don't have to have the right answer. You just have to have your thoughts. What are your beliefs? What counts as clinical experience? The question, I, I get students asking me all this, especially on Instagram after we post something about clinical and shadowing and what the differences are, et cetera, is like, I volunteer here, is it clinical? I do this, is it clinical? And I have no idea based on the title, based on the location, if it's clinical or not. It's all about what you are doing. So you may, you may volunteer in an assisted living facility, but if all you're doing is, is administrative work, it's not clinical experience. I've had students who are like janitors in a hospital put on their application clinical experience. They're like, I'm in a hospital. <laughs> clinical, no. If you're interacting with patients in even a smidge of a clinical way, then I would label it clinical experience. Let me give you an example of clinical experience that's not clinical experience, interacting with patients. In an emergency room, if you've ever been to an ER, usually what happens is you get taken back to a room and then someone comes to you and registers you into the hospital system. Right? They get all of your information, they get your insurance card, they get your credit card number, they get your social security number, they get your firstborn because it's really expensive to go to the hospital. And that person registering you is interacting with a patient. And so I had a student who's like, this is what I do. It's clinical experience. I'm interacting with patients. And I said, no, that's administration. That's not clinical experience. Yes, you're close enough to smell the patient, which is a fun way of saying close enough, like interacting with the patients. Um, but it's not clinical experience. So you just have to use your judgment of what you're doing in that, set, in that setting, in that situation, to determine if it's clinical or not. How should I prepare for the interview? So I'd go to your advising office here. Do you guys have pre-health office here? Good. So go to your advising office. Hopefully they offer mock interviews. Um, I'm glad you asked. I didn't talk much about preparing during the, the talk. Um, the, one of the biggest mistakes that students make when they're doing mock interviews, when they're preparing for their interviews, is over-preparing. I talk about selling yourself and, and going in with an agenda, all that stuff. If you don't do any of that, but you over-prepare, then you're just running off of a script in your head. And so the interviewer says, Sally, tell me about yourself. And you go, well, I was born in Texas, and I grew up in Texas, and I went to Texas A&M, and I majored in biochemistry, and I have three brothers and a sister, and my mom does this, and I really want to... And, and you're just going off of a script in your head because you've rehearsed it so many times that you've memorized it. That's bad, too. Because guess what? Going back to the core of what the interview is is a conversation, not a monologue. Okay? 
So don't over-prepare, don't script out your answers. The best way to prepare is to bullet point. Okay, tell me about yourself. I know I want to talk about where I grew up, I want to talk about family, siblings, I want to talk about uh, what I like to read and what I like to cook. Bullet point those things, memorize those things, and then on your interview day, let your brain fill in the rest. Why do I want to be a doctor? Okay, I want to talk about kind of my seed that was planted when, when Grandma Gertrude got sick and we were exposed to medicine and then I was a candy striper and then whatever, right? Bullet point those things and then let your brain fill in the rest on interview day. Don't memorize it. Can shadowing count as clinical experience? So shadowing, uh, sometimes shadowing in its like truest form is super passive. Like you're not doing anything. You're bored out of your mind. Like, oh my God, kill me now. I know I want to be a doctor. I don't want to do this anymore, but I need to do it. Whatever. <laughs> uh, some physicians will let you interact with patients, ask questions, take vitals. If you're in that situation, just estimate how much time is clinical and how much time is shadowing and just put it as two separate entries on your application. If it's like one random time that you're like, I got to talk to the patient, like don't even worry about it. But if there's any significant time, then you can, you can split up one experience into two things. So another good example is if you're a clinical research coordinator, uh, a lot of students, it's a really good job, a pre-med job for students. Um, you're doing research, right? You're helping run research and you're interacting with patients and organizing all of their care and all this stuff. But a lot of times the clinical research coordinators will hang out with you in the doctor's office while the doctor is seeing you because as soon as the doctor is done doing that, you're going to take the patient somewhere else for other testing, other labs, whatever. And so your clinical research coordinator job is a ton of shadowing as well in, in some situations. Should I send thank you notes? Thank you notes uh, are, in my mind, something that you still should be doing. A lot of medical schools will tell you, like, it's not going to make a difference. Don't send them. If the school tells you not to send them, don't send them, right? If you send them after the school tells you not to send them, then you just don't follow directions. Um, even if the school says, yeah, we accept them, but they don't matter, still send them. Uh, it's just right? old school, courteous, shows that you care, and it's another contact point, another touch point. Um, make them as personal as possible to say, hey, Dr. Smith, I really loved our conversation about blah, blah, blah. I look forward to, to hearing from the school soon. I send them as soon as possible. Uh, usually email is fine. Written letters are okay if the school is okay with you sending written letters as well. How can I show consistency as a non-trad? The consistency obviously can't start until you start to realize that this is what you want. So it's not an issue. It's part of your story. And in your personal statement, it'll likely reflect that there was obviously some change from here's what I thought I was gonna do to now here's why I wanna be a doctor. Right? That's the whole goal of the personal statement is why do I wanna be a doctor? Um, your personal statement should tell that story. And then usually, depending on where you're switching from, if you were like a liberal arts major, a history major, whatever, and all of a sudden you start taking all these science classes junior year, that paints a picture of you realizing that, that you're on a different path. And so everything will point to it. And, and if the question comes up, it's super easy. Like, I didn't know I wanted to be a doctor, so I wasn't shadowing. Like, people don't just go hang out at the hospital for fun. <laughs> Sometimes. Really old people in retirement, they like to hang out at the hospital. How do you create a linkage between the two? You create a linkage. 
That's one way of saying it. But I don't, I don't think you need to get really fancy about it. I think it's just at some point, obviously, you were leading one life and something changed. And the question isn't for specific, specifically for non-traditional students or even for students changing majors. It's not why not that thing, right? If you're switching careers, it's not why not being a nurse, why not being a lawyer, whatever it is, but it's why medicine. And the question will come up probably, why now? All right, there you have it. Hopefully that was helpful for you. Again, my talk at the AMSA Pre-Med Fest conference. AMSA, as you're listening to this, has their big annual convention in D.C. in mid-April. I will not be there this year, but if it's something that you're potentially interested in, you should go check it out. Now, it's mostly focused on medical students, and that's my biggest complaint. Uh, I, I, I always try to tell it as it is, and I've talked to AMSA about the fact that there's this huge convention where a lot of pre-med students go, but most of the focus is on medical students, unfortunately. So uh, check it out. Ask, ask your friends, classmates, anybody maybe that has been before and see if it's something that you would enjoy investing in going to D.C. if you live in the area, potentially, and going to the AMSA convention. I hope you have a great week. Don't forget about this contest. Go subscribe. Go leave a comment on this video. I will pick a winner to do a 45-minute call with me. We can talk about anything and everything that you want to talk about. We'll see you next time here on The Pre-Med Years. This is MedEd Media.